0: Hello everyone and welcome to a interview special on the SWW show. It's me, AJ. Um, back with another VR cooking game. Um with Paulus of All Hail the Cookatron. Um, thanks for joining us.
1: Hi, hi. Welcome. I'm glad to be here.
0: It, it's funny, we were talking about it, um, we started recording that I I make mention that this is another VR cooking game Uh, this is for me as I was saying my third in a row it feels like and the, the sentiment from the previous two that I talked to is the same as what you were talking about where 18 months ago there were no cooking games on VR now suddenly there's three
1: if you consider, if you don't consider a job simulator cooking game, which we don't, because honestly, it's more like an intro demo into VR. It wasn't yeah, primarily it's... focused on cooking. Cooking was a part of the game, but calling it exclusively a cooking game probably wouldn't be correct.
0: Right. It's like a. Yeah. It's like a tech demo. It's like calling a tech well, demo like that genre. There's plenty
1: of cooking in it, but it was a game meant to introduce people, like join them easily into VR at slow pace, and not really, like, overburdened with challenge, but, like, give them an experience, yeah, as you say, like, it is a, it's similar to tech demo, but it's way more than that, there's quite a lot of art and design and creativity that went into that game, and it's amazing for what it is, like, still one of the best games you can give to any newcomer that comes to VR.
0: Yeah, it's, it's the perfect, it's great that that was, like, when the Vive launched, that was one of the games <laughs> that they gave for free.
1: Yeah, it's it set the payment for VR. It's a huge contribution to the audience of VR and overall to the clarity of it.
0: Because, I mean, they could, have, they could have easily gone and given people, like, just five shooting gallery games. Instead they give a game that incorporates every control, the room scale, like, it is normally when you look at at least it seems this way with consoles. It takes until the end of a console generation to get the game that really like nails down the gimmick of the console. Whereas with VR, at least for me, from my point of view, like that job simulator was. This is the first thing that's coming out, and it will last. So like, it is it gets everything. Explores everything of the vibe and of the you know the the promise of VR that
2: we had.
1: Not to, totally. It's it's
2: definitely one of the best center applications there is. And uh your game all hail the Cookatron appears to be kind of it's this you guys are taking the next I guess a logical step
0: in the not just cooking game, like this is the you know, the process game. This is the a game like uh I guess, you know process games are like, you know, just cooking games are easy to describe, but like overcooked, like yours, um, but even things like satisfactory or uh in some ways, Minecraft can kind of be this way when you get some of the base
2: uh, automation stuff, where it's no longer a game about like <laughs>
0: you're, you guys have a goal, right? It's it's a process. You have to serve customers, not just
2: yeah. You know. um.
0: The job simulator example of that is just screwing around and doing whatever, and eventually get to and
1: Yeah, it's quite a um, fair comparison. So, as you say, if we say the job simulator was an entry game to get people hooked in the VR, not overwhelm them, but like just to give them like, a nice reskin tutorial of everything you can do in VR at their own pace and like enjoy it and also gamify it and have a story while running through it. So... We went a uh, completely opposite way, and we decided to create as challenging a game as possible, while being a cooking game, because you know, that's what we wanted to do and so fans of. And we figured that there was no real challenging games out there, or any in-depth cooking games at the time from at all. And uh, that was our true vision. Like, um, like we primarily, when we did it, we said like we do the game that we would like to play ourselves, and That meant that essentially it needed to be insanely hard and challenging to a point that at any session you play of it should have felt like expert plus session of beat saber. Like you, you have to be sweating after you finish the session. Like that, that level of challenge in terms of both physical undertaking and the, I just call it, management and uh, overall excitement. And uh, I do believe that we achieved that, but. As we found out very soon after we were giving it out to testers and especially when we gave it to our parents and people who uh, don't have as much experience or familiarity with VR and obviously are not craving for as much of a challenge. It was far too difficult. So (laughs) soon after that we had to introduce what we call a casual mode specifically for people who are maybe fresher and newer to VR so they wouldn't feel as much challenged and overwhelmed by the content we created. So in parallel with two games, it was, like a simple standard cooking game that people might be familiar with if they played any of us uh, non challenging cooking games or even Job Simulator, but shouldn't overwhelm them, but should still provide some sort of challenge, and the heroic mode, which we call, which is essentially an overkill and uh, a <laughs> true test to anyone who really is up for the cooking challenge or time management games.
2: So I'm curious, like, your description of wanting
0: to create—it's it's a terrible example because it's the only one I can think of. But like the Dark Souls of VR cooking games, something yeah, that yeah, that would be quite accurate. Yeah, I I I hate using that as an example because it's like, oh, it's the Dark Souls of this genre, or it's the Dark Souls. of so It became
1: of that. kind of mainstream term for a difficult yeah. and not. Overly balanced towards the newcomers' game. Yeah, non punishing, Funishing quite hard. That's that's the best way of saying. it. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I guess like, are you guys? And and you mentioned you like the cooking games. Do you? <clears throat> excuse me. Do you play like the cook serve delicious games? Are you playing like overcooked? Are you playing?
1: Have I played it? Yes. Am I like a hardcore? player of cooking games exclusively. No, I play a lot of things and I'd say I play more shooters than anything else myself. Uh my wife, however, is far more into cooking games than I am. <clears throat> but that being said, our inspiration for this game wasn't any of the mainstream games or even the recent releases at all. Like the prime source of our inspiration was actually a very old PlayStation One game, I think it's a Japanese game. I may mispronounce the name but it's called Oro and uh, it's really the foundation of the uh, cooking mechanics and overall the feel of the game, what we wanted to, well, be a spiritual successor of. And uh, I don't know if you've heard of it or have seen the game. It's quite old, so I will not hold it against you if you don't know nothing about it. Uh, I mean, but... I'm, I'm
0: sure I've heard of it. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. my,
1: <laughs>
0: my personal gaming history goes starts at mid-PS2
2: because I just didn't have one growing up until so I would have been uh, 11 by the time I got I got anything so yeah, I, I some of the, the
0: older games that people my age grew up with I don't have that because I just didn't grow up with them because that wasn't I was never in the, never in the house. I never had a a PlayStation or a
2: Nintendo in the house. It was sports and all that fun and stuff. Enough. Growing up,
1: it was quite similar to me as well. As I said, I'm more into action and into action games myself. And it was quite the tough sell for my wife to sell me on a seat as well. And uh, what we agreed on is essentially that whatever we come up with. I get to tune it to the point that I find it enjoyable myself as a person who is not 100% into cooking games. So it was like on a hype. So we innovated and created mechanics that would feel compelling and challenging and it wouldn't be a pure assembly simulator as I tend to see a lot of cooking games, especially on mobile, which is essentially you just stack ingredients on top of each other and that's what you get. And uh, one of the reasons that's why we arrived at the... Pure physics uh, assembly, as I call it, where nothing is stacking and everything is assembling any way you put it on, and as a result, in you having an absolute mess of a kitchen when you play for like ten minutes or more. Like <laughs> we thought, that's probably one of the things that would give identity to the game above all else.
2: So I'm curious with with the you, you mentioning that, like it's physics are
0: always interacting with the object like do you have you know uh, making burgers do you have the skewer to stick down through it so you can
1: Nope, you just stick them on top of each other we did to took some liberties here and there like as you say when you stock ingredients on a plate like a burgers. We tend to just stick them in. Like as soon as you land any ingredient on a plate, it sticks and it stays there. So okay. that part of physics freezes. However, you get to arrange it in any way you like. So unlike, instead of a, a example, as you are putting several, like seven layers of a burger and it's stuck perfectly and looks like a flawless burger, like from a TV ad, you most likely going to end up what you really see in a fast food restaurant, which is a messy squished burger with all the ingredients crooked and on the side. <laughs> <laughs> unless you definitely, unless you specifically take your time to carefully place all the ingredients, it'll almost never gonna look pretty. And uh we kind of thought that's the charm of a game, especially once you start introducing a lot of small ingredients like fries and you start chopping around and as I say, it gets really messy and I think that's what really makes me feel like that's what cooking should feel like. It should never be pretty, it should be grimy, messy and uh it should be ingredients all over the place.
0: Yeah, in in reality cooking isn't you know, uh <laughs> I, I can only think of American examples. Um or I guess like, you know, uh well, no that's pretty pretty reality TV style, but like you, cooking shows, so like Rachel Ray or Master um, MasterChef or something like that. Like it's never it's never that clean. It's always you know, it's it's British bake-off. It's. You know, you're mixing something up and it just flies all over. Because,
1: yeah, well, MasterChef is not a bad example, actually. It's just that they do have, more often than not, several people on it. And uh, if it's just one person cooking, they are more. They rarely need to make more than a few dishes, just to impress the judges. We went more on the. As you say, like. Uh, <clears throat> like a down-on-the-line type of feel when you're serving 50 or 100 of dishes and you have a time constraints to feel like the pressure of customers really want that and uh, you obviously get punished if you don't deliver on time so you need to efficiently prepare ingredients in advance if you want to hit those times and you need to manage your time and uh, as a result there's no much time for prettiness and the maintenance of your kitchen. So as a result, you have to cut corners and arguably at the end of the day, it should be a very messy environment where you're struggling to hit the deadlines <laughs> and uh, deliver your dishes. Which barely should simulate what a fast food yeah. cooking is. Like that's what the industry is like. I worked in KFC for over four years myself. So I remember what it looked like inside and like, There was food all over the floor, and it was a mess. (laughs) Obviously, I have to clean it up constantly, but (laughs) I don't think that has changed since
0: then. It definitely hasn't. Um, It is funny, though, seeing kind of these... uh, Stressful games is not necessarily the right phrase, but games that will definitely induce stress. Um, Coming to prevalence... At a time, at least in the States, and I'm sure it's it's a lot like this around the world, but it's a little uh, kind of uh, relaxed stance that the U.S. has taken in regards to coronavirus stuff. It's a little more uh, stressful for the everyday people, but seeing these games kind of come to prominence again in 2020... And going into twenty one when it's like I personally don't think I need any more stressors in my life. So <laughs> i say I'm, that was
1: unfortunate timing. Yeah. We didn't design and started the game when COVID hit. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm playing like truck simulators and farming simulators and I'm finally figuring out why German market loves those games it's because they're de-stressers just hop around you just hop on and either drive a truck around or you drive a tractor around and you're like you know what this isn't half bad
2: and then you you see people hopping into oh let me play Demon Souls and there's all that stress on me and it's time based things and things like that but I will say they're in a normal and
0: who knows what normal is going to be for now on but in a normal world like those stressful games are are generally pretty fun because it's it's less of the stress at least for me like especially these games when you're making that are Mm -hmm. time based
2: and accuracy based it's less of it's not the demon souls like dark, dungy, uh dingy large orchestral score that induces
0: the stress. It's okay, I have eight plates that I need to spin basically at once, and it's going through the mental logic of okay what what order do I need to do this in. <laughs>
2: Excuse me. I, suppose,
1: I, I, suppose, I get your argument. You yeah. don't want to overstress yourself, and you go down to play video games. You probably want to relax. It's long, stressful day. Uh it's probably another way to look at it. That it's not necessarily stressed that people are after the challenge. And when it comes to challenge, there comes time constraints and pressure, and that naturally induces the stress if you can if you can meet the challenge. I totally understand. But same logic. I don't think people play Demon Souls or Dark Souls to get stressed. They play it because they like the challenge. <laughs>
0: I mean I've I would say yes they love the challenge, but I have seen people that um I don't I just—I genuinely don't know. Like
1: As could be also the people who got peer pressured into trying out the game they yeah. may not be comfortable with or they never heard anything about and just get what, slammed with insanely high difficulty they can handle. Those people do get stressed out. More of a reason why we also had to add an easier difficulty because we figured our game would be far too punishing for people who are not so versed into VR. I yeah. mean, yeah, and that's why difficult like, exists.
0: Yeah, <laughs> like if this was, you know, it's interesting because I would have said before the Quest Two came out that VR was kind of reaching that maturity point of. We are going to see more of games like these where you know, the natural progression of okay you've had this now for several years so we're gonna ramp up difficulty because you should be you know comfortable with control schemes and comfortable with the settings and things like that and then when the quest 2 came out and brought in a much more casual audience into VR. I'm like, yes, like, it's kind of weird, right? You're seeing seeing the influx of casual people that the Quest 2 is their first headset, and it's... They've only had it for a little bit, so they're not as comfortable with the controls. Meanwhile, you have... Like yours and games like Substeiner and things like that that are, and even Half Life Alex like that is a challenging game.
1: It does have an easy difficulty in case you don't want the challenge. Like every Valve game, really comes in with a mode for you to just experience the story.
0: But you have to—it's a Valve game. You have to play it on. So You're letting
1: your personal pride to get into it. Like, you have yeah. to play it because you know what you expect. Like, as I say, people who are new to VR, last thing they want to do is like put themselves in, in a hardcore experience they can't even handle the basics of. <laughs> it's like saying, it's a Beat Saber. You definitely have to play it on Expert Plus. Otherwise, it's not even a game.
0: <laughs> yeah, Which, that, that game has continued to escape me. Like, I've seen it on sale and been like, oh, yeah. yeah,
2: yeah.
1: Beat Saber has escaped you. Yeah. Oh my god. How well, about that? Yeah.
0: I just it's <laughs> I I don't know. It, it was it was one of those things that I heard about it when it came out and I had tried it a couple times I'm like, yeah, this is pretty cool.
1: Oh, so you have tried it at least. Yeah. And you know what it is. So, oh, yeah. I mean, I, it would be very unfair to talk about a game if you've never even tried it.
0: <laughs> no, I've 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 tried it and I've seen it and, you know, so I know I know the deal. I, I yeah, know well. the I know the beat saber gimmick. Um but yeah, uh, you know, I've seen it on sale and I've seen it on on Steam and things like that, and just been like, eh,
2: yeah, eh.
0: Yeah. The do game I, is a killer really... idea. They yeah. pushed
1: everything you can do with VR controls to the max, which means, like, the only way to make next level past PB Saber is to introduce more sensors or ideally a force feedback, and then what well, you could go beyond that. It's the same reason why I think a lot of uh, RPG games where you swing your swords came short Is because, well, what you're swinging is a weightless controller. Well, it has the weight itself. But there's absolutely no force feedback and you never even know if you hit anything. And, uh, well, that's exactly how you should feel with a lightsaber when you slice for everything. There shouldn't be any resistance. You should just be slicing for everything. And uh, there's very few games out there that actually addressed melee combat in VR like that where you're your uh, swingable object or or sword or whatever has infinite weight or slices for everything like its butter. Like everywhere else, it's usually a bash simulator and you're bashing into an object and, well, you need to bash it several times before its HP bar depletes. But it does not really feel like that in your real-life counterpart because you're essentially swinging into the air.
0: Well, and <laughs> that's actually, you know, that's an interesting argument for,
2: you know, the, the kind of... Uh, Giving up reality, like, I I know the term from film, but, uh, suspension of disbelief. Mm-hmm.
0: That, that aspect, when, you, with a controller in your hand, like, you'll, you'll run around and swing a sword and it bounces off something, you're like, okay, yeah, whatever. You're not even really thinking about, like, that doesn't, that doesn't break the game. That doesn't break your brain when you're thinking about it. It does game.
1: affect. It does actually break a brain for newcomers. For the same reason how newcomers have a really hard time adjusting for the free locomotion rather than walking in the real life space. Like, even yeah. if you give them a free locomotion game, they'll dead they don't try to walk with their feet and punch their head into a wall. They will do it. Like, this will always happen with newcomers to VR. It takes them hours, if not weeks, to adjust to, like, no, I must not. Walk. You put them in a the chair, maybe helps, but most of the time, if they're standing, they're guaranteed to take a few steps every now and then, even though they're using locomotion. Because yeah. they are that immersed. And same goes for force feedback. If you're going to hit objects, you kind of expect to have some sort of resistance. Unless you're handling super strong <laughs> lasers that can slice through anything like that, like yeah. it's butter, and then, yeah, we don't really need to feel any resistance. That's what BeatSaver go right. And as I said, the only way to one up that right now is, well, advanced controls. Force feedback, and a sort of yeah. ...tangibility. Like. Oh,
0: who, who made that suit? Res Infinite made the who haptic made the, suit.
1: Beat saber. Oh, haptic suit. Yes. Uh, the yeah. thing is, haptic suit is not exactly that. Haptic suit just lets you feel. when Yeah.
0: But I mean, what it's you also, want like, is
1: uh force feedback gloves, the ones that actually give you an actual feedback when you're touching it, and they pull your like fingers or arms back to make you feel like this actual tangible objects you're touching. So you no longer feel that everything is weightless and and uh, made out of air. That's what you need. <laughs>
0: well, let's let's just go to the logical conclusion. The exoskeleton actually exoskeleton. Yeah,
1: yeah. That would pretty much like set in the immersion. The... there are many of simulations that are going around it. Like for example, you can buy accessory gun controllers that are already made compatible with Steam VR that have inbuilt uh air recoil into them. So you know when you shoot them they actually recoil correctly to simulate the game you're playing. Which uh is a very immersive aspect. I mean most of the VR arcades are using them for that reason. It's not yeah. really a consumer grade product, but VR arcades definitely make very good use of it and it's amazing. Well uh, and stereotypical
2: American knowing how to shoot a gun. Um the
0: the problem that I have with those is yes you get the kickback but the thing that those never do and airsoft guns, you know, BB guns, anything that anything that isn't literally harnessing an explosion. You don't get muzzle rise. You get the mm-hmm. the feeling so, you know. of it hitting you, but you don't get the physical um that exhaust of gas that wants to fling it upwards, but...
1: You're right in that regard. But when you're in VR, you don't really care. <laughs> as long as there's any sort of feedback, you're already, your brain does the rest. Okay. Like, like, it doesn't have to be one-to-one physical representation of force feedback for you to feel immersed. It just has to be some form of feedback. For well, the same reason, the haptic suit. When you get shot, you don't actually have to feel like you got shot. You just need to feel a bump in your body to see, ah, I got shot there, you know? <laughs> Where otherwise, when you play VR, unless there's a UI indicator at which you're paying attention at the time to see that you got shot in a certain body part, you wouldn't really know. You wouldn't care. Then you play, like, uh, if you play a Pavlov or any game with a haptic suit, and you get shot, half the time you don't even notice. The uh, HP yeah. bar just flashes. I, like, that's... you wouldn't even know, like, oh, shit, I got shot. Like, for all you know, the guy was very awkwardly spraying at you for like 10 minutes and it's just horrible and missing everything, but you didn't notice because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you just drizzle your leg or something. Haptic Suit supposedly fix that because they give you feedback an additional form of input to know like, hey, by the way, you know, like I know you're not looking at it, but someone just shot you in the butt and you're like, oh, crap, you know <laughs> it doesn't have to feel like an actual bullet yeah. and the same goes for gun recoil and anything else. It doesn't have to be one-to-one representation, it just has to be there
0: yeah, you know, it's 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 funny when you bring that up, because when they brought out that, uh, I guess it was always in it from the start, the Xbox One controller, and it had mm-hmm. the rumble triggers. Oh, yeah. And they were like, oh, this is going to change the way that you play Forza. I'm like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. I hopped on Forza with, you know, the first time that I got it, and... Went around a corner, and I could feel you know. Trigger the right trigger was rumbling from the tires slipping. I'm like, okay, you know what? They were right.
1: Yeah, well, any feedback helps. It doesn't have to be one-to-one representation. Yeah. Same goes for the new PlayStation 5 trigger uh, feedback as well. Now that they do it, when you they're simulating the the trigger e calls. Have you have you seen those ones?
0: So I've seen I. Do not have a PlayStation Five. I was. Gonna... Nor do
1: I. I only saw the tech demos, yeah. but I reckon it has to feel quite immersive and it bounces back at you like that.
0: Yeah. What you know? What I've heard from people talking about, like, you know, it—you
2: genuinely feel like you're pulling back a bow, or you're kind of feel yeah. that that trigger, the click of the trigger in the controller. I'm
1: like, okay, that Uh actually
0: sounds
2: real.
1: And we both can agree, even without trying it, there's no way in hell that controller will give you the same amount of resistance as the bowstring does. Like, No way in hell. It's just going to be some sort of background like input and it will still feel like you're immersed because what you're getting is the signal and your brain just does the rest. And uh, I think it will be the same for VR. You just need any sort of input there. and (laughs) As I say, the best way to judge good VR experience is if you can do it on a basic level if your eyes closed and uh, that's how we were testing our kitchen as well Uh, we build haptic feedback where possible, specifically for the same reason that I could operate and do, operate with dish surfaces and do certain functions off screen without ever looking at it and uh, it's really important for virtual reality games. Well, what I'm trying to say, the example is, as I'm facing customers and uh, they require like, several dishes, including dishes, uh, including drinks and like, fries and kebabs, and I'm just looking at them in front of me there's just plates and vegetables. Without even turning my head, I can take my hand to the left. And I can feel the kebab gun and I can slice some kebabs and the haptic feedback should do the rest of feel that I'm actually slicing it, but give me feedback for every single action. Same goes for my other hand. If I raise and I can grab the drinks dispenser and grab the, the, the empty cup, slot it into a machine, jam the button. And all that has to be communicated through haptic feedback so you can do it off screen. This was a very important exercise we were doing to make sure that this is possible and, uh, Obviously, we are very limited because they only have the feedback. We have a certain frequencies of vibrational controller, and that's pretty much it. <clears throat> but you add the feedback to the trigger, uh, to the trigger, the same way PlayStation did. That's already a huge thing. And then beyond that, if you can actually add the feedback to your individual fingers and the wrist to actually pull it back and give any sort of resistance. And you pretty much cover, like, 90% of all the possible haptic feedbacks you ever need for any game, beyond actually going into the, uh, thing, like, as you say, full exoskeleton to pull back your arms and your elbows and everything else when you're punching.
2: That's, well... I say we're, what, 10 years out from... somebody
0: figuring out the exoskeleton and...
1: No, they already exist, it's just too too expensive to make it commercially viable. I
0: know their their military use
2: right now, but the the idea of makes the Omni treadmill that you
0: know, the, the treadmill that is uh, a dish that you can run around in and it hooks into VR. Like that's existed for several years, but it's it's like fifteen thousand dollars or something like that.
1: No, 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 not anymore. Uh, oh, Maybe the first They made a relatively cheap version right now for the consumers.
2: Okay. Which yeah, is
1: very compact and you can have it in your bedroom. It, it doesn't take more space than your chair. Like it's actually made it perfectly in that uh, circular shape. And, uh, and uh, it's relatively lightweight. I mean, it has to be heavy enough to actually yeah. withstand your weight and not flip. Uh, but <clears throat> I'm pretty sure they made a version of it. Uh, I'm not certain if the on production is still on the Kickstarter But they're already sending out test kits to the, the early backers Don't get me wrong I'm not 100% certain of it So I don't want to lie on this <laughs> But I think it was around $600
0: That's that's not bad It's
1: it's like a VR headset itself But yeah. to be fair The accessory of that complexity And to give you this level of immersion It's not expensive I've seen a lot of virtual guns As you say with recoil boosters Which are costing more than this
0: well, and you know, it's six hundred doesn't sound bad, but you have to then take into consideration it also needs a six to thousand dollar headset. It needs a roughly thousand dollar PC. Like six hundred doesn't sound
1: imagine. bad. I don't imagine, but at at the end of the day, at at this day, at the current time. VR enthusiasts would be the ones who are uh, not spending anywhere below $3,000 on a VR kit. Like, yeah. anyone who's a VR enthusiast has to spend that much. Unless they're the entry-level, they're using just a quest, or, uh, um, as I say, like, entry-level VR system, like, they might be bought second-hand and they're running on the old computer, they were always going to have to pretty much drop 3000 grand on it. That's the price you pay for being an early adopter for literally anything. And yeah. as the hobbies go, it's not really that expensive. There's far more expensive hobbies out there. Look at any person doing car racing, or even as you say, airsofting. Airsofting is far more expensive than that.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: I mean, I,
1: I did even, a little bit of that. Entry into it costed me hundreds. Just the entry, just yeah. to get the entry gear, the outfit itself, and everything else. And what happens when you go into custom making mods or your own guns? Oh god, it's just gonna go to yeah. thousands easily.
0: Or I mean, you go to the basic thing, right? You go to sports, like any sport. If you want to play it at a, you know, short of basically basketball and baseball. There's equipment, there's pads, there's. You need to rent fields, you know, rinks. Any um... sport.
1: Any sport where you need to buy equipment will easily can get way far more expensive than VR hobby. Yeah. And uh, this is what. uh, Another thing that kind of annoys me is that people still look at it and it's like, yeah, but it should be cheap, you know, I can buy for my kids and stuff. But you have to understand, this is not a cheap gimmick. You can buy a cheap entry version of it, which you can give to your kids and anyone else. Actually, you shouldn't, because every single VR headset says it is for 13 and over. (laughs) It was never designed for children's head to put a heavy object on your head. It could cause neck injuries or whatever other unforeseen circumstances. And uh, (laughs) you shouldn't actually be giving to kids, despite the popular belief. Uh, But, um, as I said, it's not... It was never designed to be as they call it, cheap experience. It was designed to be a next level, and uh, it's still not mainstream. Oculus wants us to believe it is, but it's not. It's not mainstream as getting a console to your house. Most people who get consoles often uh, often don't play more than few games or use it as a media hub like to even watch movies or stuff.
0: Yeah, what was the... Somebody... It was either PlayStation or X. Well, I know Nintendo said, like... You know, if they put the Netflix app on it, like they were expecting to see gameplay drop by like sixty percent or something like that,
1: it would definitely happen. I can believe that. Yeah, I have a PlayStation and I haven't played a game on it since Final Fantasy 7 Remake, and I am using it every single day for Netflix.
0: But yeah, one of them, one of them was like, "Yeah, you know, here are the top." ten games based on total hours or whatever it was. And then it was here's the top ten just apps. So they included I think like Fortnite made the list, but it was Netflix, it was um Probably at, Amazon Prime. Yeah, Prime, it was Hulu, it was like all the media apps were
2: the top four or five for sure. Yep. And then they started to sprinkle in games. I'm like, yeah, like
0: That... It's also
1: not fair to judge that way because yeah. if you're going to use Netflix you're going to watch a lot of different content on it. If you're going to play a game, well you're just going to play that game and drop it, unless right. it's an MMO or a multiplayer game. You're never going to spend, the average user will never going to spend a thousand hours on it as they would on the app like Netflix.
0: Yeah. Uh, and so it's really
1: not fair to judge.
0: Yeah, You can't can't judge when somebody's like well and if, even if we go back to the PlayStation Three, like when you know everybody likes to hark on the what was it five hundred ninety nine U S dollar remark. That was also the cheap one of the cheapest, if not the cheapest, Blu Ray players in the world when it came out. Same with the PS Two for the DVDs. So Didn't like, they
1: invented Blu Ray? Yeah, like Sonic yeah. invented Blu Ray and patented it. So as far as I understand, it wasn't just cheapest; it was the only one until the other ones came along. <laughs>
0: Uh, no, Sony, like, Sony proper, not the PlayStation division, under their consumer electronics, had a couple out. But they were over $1,000. Yeah,
1: literally, it was very expensive when it came out.
2: And then, the PlayStation 3 comes out, and it's 500 or whatever, you know, whatever the number was. And everybody's like, oh,
0: that's, a, you know, that that's way too much. And then...
1: Well it was tough sell because there's yeah. not that much content on Blu ray. It's not like you yeah. go in every single supermarket and you see Blu ray movies on the shelves. That was not the case, so it's tough sell. Yeah. But if that was the case then easy.
0: Easy sell. I mean it's an easy sell now to sell a console. You can say we have a four K Blu ray player. Even though four K adoption is super super low in the consumer market, like if you can oh my kid wants a xbox okay we're probably going to upgrade the tv so we'll just get the one that does the 4k and then there you sold
2: a series s at minimum and it's, you know, <laughs> that takes away the sale
0: from i don't even know who makes 4k blu-ray players Probably Sony, but...
1: On the, on the same topic when it comes to this, have you heard the rumors that Xbox is supposedly uh, maybe entering into VR stage? Now that they have like a powerful console in there which is matching the 2080 Ti in terms of graphics and can easily undertake VR?
0: I mean, I, I heard the rumors that Microsoft was going to buy Oculus when
2: they were showing Oculus on the Xbox stage. Uh, really? Free? Huh. Well,
1: it was before HoloLens, like
2: it was the year before HoloLens.
1: Uh, these rumors are a little bit more recent, based on the fact that people who were uh, digging in the source code and patches of Flight Simulator found that uh, Microsoft may have been testing it on the, as uh, you call it, Scarlet system, which is Xbox X. Yeah, they
0: were well, testing uh...
1: the VR capabilities of the Flight Simulator. Yeah, now flight simulator already at least, got VR, so. Yeah, that would imply that they we're at least benchmarking to see if it can run. And uh, it's possible that maybe we'll release some sort of VR accessory that would compete with a direct entry headsets like Oculus Quest and uh, possibly PlayStation VR. Which is insanely huge market, even though it's been left without any foreseeable upgrades for a long time um i know for sure that PSVR market was the biggest VR market beating all the market. PC VR cons- all the PC VR headsets combined for like first two years probably Oculus undertook it i mean overtook it by now but uh there's still a significant amount of people who actually still have it and uh yeah if Xbox entered the race that might prompt PlayStation to enter the race again with a newer VR headset and you know Spark is <clears throat> competition all over again
0: the the only reason I would say Xbox isn't going to do their own headset is because that is a like it's a price war now Like it was very clear when when the um, Series X was announced and the price came out everybody was like okay PlayStation's gonna be this or higher and they, you know, they were that or lower, but it was—it's a price war between the consoles now. So for them to release their own thing, it would have to be—I yeah, I forget what PSVR was, but you know, you'd be looking at three to four hundred dollar accessory, and that's the price of a console. Sure, so for them, it would quest... be a little tougher.
1: It was isn't PSVR accessory still over two hundred dollars? Even after all these years, they never really I, dropped the price on it. I have no idea. <laughs> I know that on launch it was three hundred, and uh, it was a little bit cheaper than the console itself, but it was still pretty much the price of a console, and that did not stop millions of people adopting it.
0: Yeah. Well, and it was also um, it in all was... no
1: fairness the standard VR <laughs> uh, headset at the time was like nine, not nine hundred, eight hundred dollars, I think. That was the cheapest one. Like Vive was costing around like that, so yeah. it was way cheaper by comparison.
2: Yeah, and now that the Quest two exists, I mean they're gonna have to
0: for a console manufacturer to get into VR, they're gonna have to release a headset that is two hundred and fifty at most. Because the Quest two is three hundred. So why put the money in R and D?
2: making your own headset, why not just adopt Oculus support or whatever, you know, so
0: I would see that before Microsoft making their own
1: Well, headset. whichever the case they choose to do, at the end of the day they definitely have hardware to do it Yeah. Like, I, I was saying arguably PlayStation 4 never had the hardware to run VR and PlayStation 4 Pro was the proof of it because they addressed that issue as well <laughs> and they tried to run it, but um, hardware was never up to date, even even compete with the entry level PC version of VRs. But now they can totally do it. I'd say, like even PlayStation 5 and Xbox on uh, Xbox X series, they can totally pretty much recreate any existing VR title and run it like flawlessly on it, even Half-Life Alex and everything else. No problem. Yeah. Hmm, could, like if they just let allow you to have a VR support and just plug in your any existing VR headset, this is a Quest or Vive or anything else or even the Valve Index into it, that would be amazing.
0: I think the only with, thing uh, the only thing limiting the Index is its display port only and I don't think the consoles have display port out.
1: Actually, yeah, I don't know what kind of plugs Xbox One X has. So you would um, have to do like a definitely HDMI has at least display a port. HDMI and USB, you must have that. <laughs> yeah. That being said, you could get converters. It's not an issue.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm running a HDMI to DisplayPort for one of my monitors, so. And the nice yeah, part but, is. Um, Index Xbox has that runs 4K.
1: Box. Xbox runs 4K and 60 FPS. That means it definitely can handle the the. The traffic that uh, DisplayPort 2, yeah. uh, 1.2 would handle, so we can easily just get a converter and run it through. Like, this shouldn't be an issue.
2: Yeah, but that can cost a lot because they would brand it. Oh, and...
1: well, regardless, the it would still be cheaper than buying a whole headset. Oh, just yeah. get a converter and say, like, here you go, you can play Index on Xbox One X. And
0: yeah, I mean, that e- would even if they made be... the converter three hundred dollars. Which is really? way too much, but it's still.
1: I think they'd do that, make a converter $300.
0: Well, that, that would be the high end of it, right? Like, if they said, hey, here's a converter <laughs> for your Series X so that you can <laughs> plug your index into it.
1: You just said, like, like if they make a headset, it has to be at least under $300. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like, but if they make a converter, they'll also make $300. <laughs> well, I'm fine. a lot of indeed if... to make a converter as a headset. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, the headset would have to be under 300 but the adapter, they could do whatever they want, because that would be people that have $1,000 headsets already.
1: <laughs> they don't need to go up to that silly ridiculous. Also, there's going to be all these third-party adapters. If they actually yeah. go the price to that level, there's going to be third-party adapters all over. The point stands that if they allowed official VR support for the consoles, we would see another burst of... Uh, audience adjoining VRX, not just PC VR and PlayStation. Absolutely. It'll yeah, absolutely. I mean, if,
0: if if the Series X just you know, tomorrow announced that hey, here's an adapter, uh an HDMI to display port adapter so you can run your Valve index. Or you they know wh- really whoever they want to partner much. with, right? If they want to partner with Oculus, whoever like um, well my argument
1: wouldn't. only stands Because Xbox One X is essentially uh, Is running in the same architecture As the PC is running It runs the yeah. same games pretty much It's essentially a shrunk down PC with a limited amount of inputs But it's a Narrowed down PC on a very affordable Pricing for any household That's what it is Without the uh, features of you to pretty much run any Debugging software on it Or any third party applications that allow you to make your own games Like Probably count on Visual Studio on it and the Unreal Engine and start making your own games. That's not the case. <clears throat> Unless they let you do that. I don't know. You can plug a keyboard and mouse in it. Maybe you can turn it into a PC if you want to.
2: Well,
0: I think... I've
1: seen I've seen people installing Windows on it, so it's possible.
0: Yeah. You'd have to, you know, kind of backdoor it, but I remember, like, the PlayStation 3 had the dual boot. Yeah, it did. And quickly realize that, hey, maybe we shouldn't allow this, because it will, it allows people to break these things open, and do whatever they want with them, so...
1: No, I can stop them, really.
2: Yeah, You
1: You can't really stop If people want to take your hardware apart and hack it and modify it, you can't really stop them. That that will happen.
2: Oh, yeah, it'll,
0: it'll absolutely happen. But having that, you know, those, are those, uh... they weren't all of the launch PlayStation 3s. It was only a like one of the hard drives could do it. So having that, but then, you know, that, that allows people to, even uh, casual people that hear about it, you know, they can pull up a website and be like, oh, all I have to do is, you know, dual boot, plug this USB in, and then I can get all the games?
2: Cool. Whereas, in a modern console, to get that takes some serious knowledge. Um, so, yeah, I will say though, it has been
0: incredibly fun talking to you. Um, okay. I know you just Likewise. woke up, even though it's it's going on five o'clock over there. Um,
2: but i I will let you uh get on with your day. Thank yeah, no worries. Thank you very
1: much for joining me. It's uh... been a
2: pleasure. This
3: episode is partially brought to you by the Humble Choice Program. Did you know Humble Bundle has a great monthly subscription service that lets you get a ton of video games every single month? That's right. From plans range from $5 to $20 a month, you get a hold of a bunch of free games they have available to you. And you could use our code down in the description below to go and sign up. It would help our podcast and help you see what great games are available for you this month. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another of these interview episodes of the SWW show. First off, it's weird because it's videos. So I don't quite understand this. AJ told me I
0: have to look professional today. It's very I confusing. mean, looking looking professional for the both <laughs> of us is uh, switchers.
3: All right. <laughs> Yeah, uh, anyway, I'm Mike, as you know, uh, that they're speaking is AJ, and we have a guest with us today, um, from all the way from sunny, I've heard cold for for LA standards, but warm for me and AJ by a mile, <laughs> so we're going to say sunny, warm Los Angeles, uh, Sam. Sam, let's start with, how are you doing today? I guess it's like 11-ish or so for you right now.
4: Yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, it is a little cold for LA standards here. It is below 60, which is oh, darn. awful for us. Yeah, it's really tough to adapt. Uh, it was 90 last week. So big one. Sounds like
0: Florida like it's it's 90 <laughs> or 60 and there's no in between. Look, yeah, it, it exactly. is like
3: 10 outside right now for me. So like you would literally die. Uh, I'm in Minnesota, Minneapolis right now, so like it's a locked colder. Oh yeah, place.
4: no, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave the the house. No way.
3: <laughs> <laughs> like he's wearing a t-shirt, actually. I mean, you wouldn't dream of wearing a t-shirt right now.
0: I mean, I'm wearing a t-shirt <laughs> underneath this. I probably would have worn it anyway, but it's uh sunny and balmy 34 degrees out right now.
4: No, I can't handle it. My family's on the East Coast. And that's where I grew up, and every time I visit, it's usually dead of winter when I visit because it's like holidays and everything. And uh, and I'm just the worst there. i mean, like, <laughs> let's go do something, and I'm like, what if we don't? <laughs> what if we just sit in the heat all day? What
3: if he's we do to do this?
4: Yeah, he's like, we have hot
3: chocolate in the house. We have a fire. Yeah. Like where am I gonna go? I don't understand. Right?
4: <laughs> the whole like getting dressed for the cold. i just not not enter
0: yeah yeah <laughs> right. comfort you come from a land where t-shirts and shorts is the business attire
4: <laughs> oh yeah <laughs>
0: that's good yeah so we're
3: here to talk about i guess it's kind of twofold now that we kind of initiated that so we're here to talk about a combo of you have a point coming up of you guys game where cards fall and also mm-hmm. you are part of the team behind i i, I want to say the the Home run success because I don't have a better better phrase. This nice one. fun, <laughs> yeah. Game of Blaze Ball. Uh, why don't we start out with? I kind of want to start out with Blaze Ball just because it's a thing I feel sure. like that really wrapped into last year, and I feel like a lot of people talked about it and like you guys got a ton kind of features on even stuff like Giant Bomb's Game of the Year and like articles written about it out of nowhere. Are you want to start with like that pitch of like what what is Blaze Ball?
4: Yeah, baseball is an absurdist horror take on like fantasy baseball, where you are betting fake money on fake teams that play simulated games of baseball around the clock, like 24 hours a day. And you are using your earnings to buy a variety of things. But the main thing that you cash in on are votes and every single week We have an election where you can vote on how you'd like to remake the league in in your image. And some of the options that you have are like kind of standard rule changes like relegate a team. Other things are a little bit crazier, like the very first season of baseball concluded with the fans voting to open the forbidden book which caused uh, the discipline era and umpires started incinerating players with their eyes and it got, uh, it just got worse from there. Uh, But yeah, it's really a game about, it's about like mass collaboration. You know, we always say it's like you're collaborating and building solidarity against malevolent forces that are outside of your control. Uh, Malevolent forces like the peanut God, which was killed at the end of the first era of baseball. So that's the kind of stuff that you do in it. Hope that makes sense.
0: Yeah. My, like my initial understanding of baseball ball was it is kind of the evolution of these ARGs that started back. I mean, well, the one that I can remember is like the halo ARGs. Like, like and then for this to kind of come out of nowhere, it felt like when I was hearing about it, I'm like, okay, this is going to be for some like, I don't know, random, like, you know, uh, like super mega baseball or, you know, one of those kind of arcadey baseball games. I'm like, still Still might be, who knows? Yeah, who knows? (laughs) I I was like, you know, I'll just, whatever. I don't like to get into those anyway. So, but then it started, I kept hearing about it and hearing about it. And then it was kind of like, oh, this thing has legs. It's not just a, oh, it's going to play out kind of the way that the, you know, uh, developer of whatever game it's supposed to be an ARG for. Like, it's not that anymore. It's okay. For my, for my point of view, it's, this is a serious, like serious is a weird word to use for it. It's
4: hard you know? to use that word with place ball. Yeah. I get it's what you're not, saying.
0: <laughs> like there's zero interaction short of the votes. And so people were talking about like, yeah, you're just watching like a ticker go by as things are happening. And I'm like, I just like, I, I know the, the um, draw behind those games, like a football manager, like the Mm
2: -hmm. out of the
0: park baseball games that it's just, you don't see anything. It's like, Oh, uh, so-and-so hit the ball and got to first. I'm like, man, I just can't like, I'm sure there's people that love that stuff, but I just couldn't get into it. And I was like, okay, the thing's going to die out because people are going to get bored. And then high expectations
4: for us. Well,
0: uh, just knowing kind of the way things go, right. Of like, it gets popular and then it, it, there's just a, a tail to it, but then lockdown continued and continued. And I'm like, this thing's just going to last forever. Like people are just, they're having this up on a second or third monitor and it's just running. And I'm like, okay, whoever made that, like, first off it's it was amazing how long it lasted kind of the anonymity of it of like nobody knew who the commissioner was and like it's just the shadowy figure and then people started to guess and things like that and i'm like i don't like i don't care whoever's running this is amazing at it that or they're the luckiest person in the world and then it just kept going and going and going and people are talking about it still. And I'm like, man, like Call of Duty couldn't even do this. Like most (laughs) Call of Duties, Modern Warfare and Black Ops have been incredibly uh, successful for them. But you know, you hear of things dying out after four to five months, this is going on what, like almost a year now it feels like.
4: (laughs) Well, time is, uh, is hard to track these days. And we launched placeball in late july so we're uh, not quite at a year yet but um the game was only really live for about three months the first era the discipline era lasted from late july into late october and um then we're on what we're calling our grand siesta right now which is (laughs) our opportunity to develop the next era of placeball uh so we're we just announced actually that we're going to be back in late February, we announced a tentative date of February 22nd, gave ourselves a little bit of leeway too, in case we need an extra week or two, but that's what we're shooting for right now. We've got a lot of good stuff planned.
3: You like worst case, there was a pandemic outbreak on the teams, and now we're going to take an extra week there for the teams to really recover, is what you can go with see <laughs> when you hit that delay.
4: Just say one of my learnings working in video games is that all dates should probably be tentative if you can make that happen.
3: I like all dates just being like a month or a season when you develop games. I'm like, I'm like, what are yeah. you doing me on? I'm like, uh,
2: <laughs>
3: fall of 2021. And like, what does that mean? I go, I don't know. I haven't described what fall means yet. I'm still figuring that out myself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I've got Or, to, I've got or ask- just
0: do it a year. Just tie a year to it and be like... <laughs> Twenty twenty four. Oh, it came out in twenty two. There you go. You guys are like. There
4: you go. Bonus. <laughs> yeah,
0: so I've got to ask. I'm kind of curious. How? So
3: you guys obviously are letting the people kind of decide, and then re, stuff's reacting accordingly, and and the user doesn't know quite how stuff's going to react. How much of that do you guys have planned ahead of time? Versus how much of it is like, okay, they decided to open this box. We have to decide what opening this box means.
4: Yeah. Um, we basically we kind of like said landmark. So we have like a general sense for what the overall space that people can play in looks like, like what the possibility space looks like. Um, But we don't know what direction people are going to move within that space. So once they start moving, you know, then we start adapting on the fly. And uh, a lot of the like, you know, the core pillars might be there. Like we might know like, okay, we have this event that if they do a certain number of things, like we can bring that in, there's an opportunity for that. But the players will always do things that surprise us and always do things that we don't expect, which means that we have to adapt on the fly. And that's part of the fun of it is that, you know, the players can organize a campaign around necromancy and bring a player back from the dead, which is not something that was planned at all. And then the next week we bring them back from the dead, but at a cost, there's like a, a new little story beat in there too. And that type of stuff is really fun because it feels like a performance on both ends. It's a performance from us, you know, helping to like kind of facilitate what the, the narrative could be, the players seeing what the possibilities are, doing something that we don't expect, and then us responding to that.
0: I feel like it that that stance is like it, it's the one thing that regular sports and digital well, not even digital, I mean physical like tabletop games do it too, where If there's a rule, if you're banking on people, everybody following that rule, your entire thing is going to crumble because somebody is going to find that rule and be like, okay, well, it says I can't do this, but it doesn't say that I can't do this. So I'm going to, you know, my favorite example is uh, there was a time in hockey where there weren't rules for goalies just putting up the snow on the ice to block the puck when they left the net. <laughs> so they would do that and then finally the NHL was like, uh sorry guys, you can't do that anymore. Well, then they started packing it around the the posts <laughs> and then they had to take that out and I'm like, guys, like just you know the rules are going to be broken and so for you know, for a game like there are games that you can kind of um, at least the vast majority of people you can get in a corral, right? Like uh, Call of Duty is a great example because it's happening right now. That game has like, it's a corral, right? Not more than 90% of the people are going to play a specific way. They're not going to attempt to break the game. Whereas Blazeball being this like Twitter revolution of everybody suddenly got a ton of time on their hands and this one thing where people can gather around that you don't even have to be a fan of sports to understand it like that was if there was one thing that was going to be like th- they nailed it it's it doesn't rely on baseball knowledge it doesn't rely on sports knowledge really and so people can just start hashtags and twitter campaigns and for for you guys to do something like that and just like open up like, hey, here's the rules, but we're open to changing this. Is like, I think every that's the perfect approach. Now, like, it's you guys nailed. For, from my point of view, right, you nailed it, and it's just like that is. This project will be talked about in five years' time, if that, in college courses of
3: that's all the viral thing. marketing
0: yeah of you know uh marketing virality and also like just the group think like it'll be psycho, it'll be psychology classes it'll be marketing classes it'll be development classes like it's it's got to feel good knowing that something that you made is suddenly like changing changing not just the the book right but changing literal textbooks that people are studying
4: yeah, thank you. It, it's a, it's a really cool feeling. Uh, if if we do, if we are lucky enough to see those textbooks include baseball, I think it'll it'll be really you know sensational. But yeah, I mean, just the fact that it's resonating with so many people and has allowed people to form communities and just get a sense of like you know being with other people in a very isolating time is what's most you know, fulfilling about it for us. Um, you know the original like design goal for this project was let's design something that can bring people together during quarantine. Um, and like everything was driven out of that goal that, you know, the mechanics, uh, even like the theme is the, we were, we're sports fans at the game band and we uh, were missing sports. So we're like, okay, this seems like using that as our reference point could be a way to give people something they can possibly engage with, which is what we're used to doing during, during this time. And this is before, all of the, uh, the major sports leagues came back.
0: Right, yeah. Yeah, you guys you guys nailed that. There was that stretch where, like, it was everything ended, mm-hmm. and then it wasn't sure when things were going to happen, and then suddenly you start hearing about this this random Twitter thing of, oh, <laughs> check this out. Like, it's baseball, but it's not. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, I'll <laughs> That's
4: just the pitch right there. Yeah.
0: I'm <laughs> like, I'll just wait for regular baseball it's baseball like also you guys picked the perfect sport right because like i don't it's not much to watch
3: right that's good to be putting <laughs> like, baseball i think
0: like baseball is the ultimate social game it's you know three to three and a half hours of sitting with your friends drinking beer eating hot dogs and occasionally watching guys hit a ball 400 feet and so it allows kind of that the uh the social aspect of it right of mm-hmm. there's a lot of downsides a game that you
4: enjoy passively yeah yeah and the other really nice thing about baseball is that it's a very character driven sport and that yes. you have a <laughs> duel between a pitcher and a hitter and you can focus on these two people at once rather than a whole team's movements so when you're just like you know into the text form just focusing on one character versus another character and it adds a lot of drama to it. it. It makes it much easier to spark your imagination.
0: So I got to ask, I know you're in LA. Are you a Dodgers fan? Are you an Angels fan? Are you?
4: Dodgers fan. Okay. Well, <laughs> yep. they're my they're my second team. I mean. <laughs> nice. Who's I, your first?
0: I uh Tigers by guilt by association being in Michigan. <laughs> but. Uh, Tigers had
4: some good years.
0: Yeah. And the last time the Dodgers won was thanks to a Tiger. So. They kind of became <laughs> my adopted second team after seeing I like that the the Gibson era at both teams, and so it was fun to watch, yeah. plus they're just fun to watch like you have Cody Bellinger who looks like he's uh continuously just ripping a bong in the dugout <laughs> and just stoned out of his mind, but somehow is one of the best players in the world, and then that
4: might be related.
3: <laughs> He's like, I don't care. I got this. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
4: and then it's a you very got, relaxed hitter.
0: Yeah. And then you got guys like uh, Muncie who will just bowl somebody over. You got yeah lights like, so out pitch. Like a, it's a very very fun team to watch and it, it's fun to see because I mean, LA, what the last time it was '86, but even the Angels weren't good. They've never been good.
4: Well, last time it was 2020.
0: Well, yes, but <laughs> previous to, to, previous no, to now. 20 it yes, was sir. <laughs> 86, I believe.
3: See, I grew up. Uh, I grew up in Chicago, so we have the Cubs fan, which is the correct answer there. And uh, that is that is all that said there said there is that is the only answer in Chicago is a Cubs fan. Anyone else is <laughs> lying to you? Uh, I'm sorry, is half the city now knocking at my door? I'm confused. So I have a question here. I've been reading on my second monitor just stuff about Blaise Ball and like different quotes and stuff. I actually have the Wikipedia page of Blazeball, which you know is accurate as Wikipedia always is. And I have to ask about. It says your original idea here was to make this a horse racing game.
4: Yeah, that's accurate. <laughs> so <laughs> originally, um, actually, this, this actually is kind of a, a cool thing to talk about because what we do with the at the game band is we don't always start with uh like mechanics or, um, we, we basically were starting from with a, with a de- overarching design goal. Sorry, my headphones keep coming out here, <laughs> but, um, basically like, you know, for where cards well, we wanted to make a, you know, a game that was kind of expressing the fragility of life through its game mechanics and through Baseball, ball, we were trying to make a game that would bring people together during an isolating time and be able to be played passively. So, the uh, very first, you know, as I started thinking about that, like, what could that look like? Um, what I came up with was, okay, browser-based would probably be interesting, even though that's not common these days because everybody has a browser tab open while they're working from home. And it would probably be something that we have to be able to play without, like, too much input so that, you know, it could exist during your day-to-day life. Um, and it would be really cool if everybody was watching the same thing. So it wasn't like something that you have to kind of plan around or like spin up an instance of on a Zoom call or something. Uh, and gambling felt like a really nice like way to have like a very light investment. Um, and when I thought of gambling, my first thought was horse racing because uh, I think part of this series, I, I grew up in Baltimore. And Baltimore is like a, a big horse racing culture as yep. well. Um, so I, that was the first thing that came to mind. And also, one of our team members, Roldan, had been working on a tech demo where he was using horse racing as a theme. It wasn't, it was for a different project, but it wasn't a horse racing project. He was just using that as the theme for the tech demo. And I, that was in my mind too. So I pitched it to the team and I got like complete dead silence from them when I first pitched it. <laughs> they were just like, what are you, what, how did, why are you pitching this to us right now? And then um, I started to like kind of explain what I was excited about the idea. And they're like, okay, okay. we're starting to get it, but the horse racing has got to go. Like nobody cares about horse racing. And uh, then Joel, who's you know, one of our early designers, he um, was like, okay, maybe if it was like a little bit more absurd, maybe it was something like snail racing. <laughs> so then we started talking about that for a little bit. And then eventually we were like, oh, wait a second, hold on, we're, we're all baseball fans here. That sport makes so much more sense for this. We don't have to actually visualize anything except for the bases the experience of following along a play-by-play on baseball on your phone or on a web browser is so like delightfully primitive. You know, you can get so much out of just seeing like who's pitching, what's the count, uh, you know, who's at bat, what's the score. You, You get like a lot of the drama without anything else. So that seemed like a perfect fit for both scope and for the actual idea and uh and for the absurdity we were like okay snail racing wasn't going to be it but can we make a baseball league that descends into chaos probably and uh yeah that was our very first design discussion on it It went from horse racing to snail racing to baseball league but descend into chaos in about an hour and then we got working
3: that's that's a, that's amazing how like you walk <laughs> and you're like human everyone we're gonna bet on horses Someone's like what about
4: baseball? Like, (laughs) like
3: like position on paper, you're like, I don't understand how we go from A to C at all. I feel like we're missing a lot more than B in this middle.
4: It's a credit to my team. You know, we've all worked together for quite some time now and have a lot of trust in each other and are able to kind of see, like when somebody's excited about an idea, kind of figure out what's the, what's the core part of it they're excited about. And is like, is this, this, and this like all extraneous from it. So, you know, when, when I was pitching this, like, I think what Joel latched onto was okay, like, what he's excited about is, is the simulation that everybody is watching, the gambling mechanics, uh, and, like, the kind of mass multiplayer style where everybody is collectively, you know, cashing in their earnings and doing things to affect the, the sim. Um, so the theme itself was almost like, well, it just needed to make sense, so that's kind of where the horse racing came from, but that could, could be anything.
0: Also, I feel like baseball is – you don't have to do anything for it to descend into chaos. It just <laughs> naturally does that. Like, uh, yeah. Also,
3: group voting naturally descends into chaos. Yes.
0: So, you
3: could have been on any yeah. topic. Everyone, uh, when you put it to a group, we a big enough group. You're like, uh, why are we now voting on is this bigger president? That is not what this vote was about. Like, it's, it's naturally stuff's going to happen <laughs> and when you have a mass. Yeah. <laughs> deal.
4: Yeah.
3: So I do actually want to jump us into the other thing, which I believe I'm be on for, which was uh, your point of where cards fall. Before we get there, though, AJ, is there mm-hmm. anything else about blazeball you want to hit up with?
0: Uh, I, I can guarantee you I have way more questions, but also this isn't a blazeball interview. How, however, I would love to turn it to that. This is uh, where the cards fall.
4: Well, I think the relationship between the two games, as different as they are, is kind of interesting. So it's not a bad... <laughs> Not a bad place to start.
3: <laughs> also, it's really hard to invite someone who, like, helped yeah. make this thing that, like, came out of nowhere and, like, not talk yeah.
4: about that. Oh, totally, totally. It'd be, <laughs> like, happy ta- it'd be
0: like talking to uh, Scorsese and not bringing up one of his masterpiece movies. I do think not think I am on
4: the same level as Scorsese, but <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate
0: well, it. <laughs> I mean, maybe not in the... In the no grand sense of the it. word <laughs> but in in terms of like you, you made a project that everybody latched onto, I mean he makes projects that everybody latches onto. Like I mean, yeah, it's okay, so yeah, he,
3: so he makes weird indie documentaries, but I'm always gonna ask him about Goodfellas. It's the moral of the question. <laughs> like independent of what I'm here to talk about, Goodfellas is coming up and he's he's understands these are the rules of existing in his life. <laughs> Which you'll be asking for baseball now for the rest of your life. You hope you
0: understand. <laughs> <laughs>
4: I hope so. Uh, I mean, I'm a big Scorsese fan, so there we go. I, well, I get always wanted to ask him about Goodfellas. <laughs> we'll,
0: we'll clip that audio of comparing <laughs> baseball to Scorsese. That's our intro clip. <laughs> S- send it to you, and then in your Twitter bio, you do that, can- clip
4: yeah, the, the Scorsese of video games. <laughs> 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 Hopefully, one day we can live up to
0: that. <laughs> AJ, I expect
3: you to clip that on you.
0: Right, oh, okay. it'll, be, it'll be highlighted for sure.
3: <laughs> so yeah, so the thing we doing about your on port was so you guys are also working on uh a port of your mobile game where cards fall. So I immediately I've gotta ask you, because you just made the comment yourself and comparison yourself. Why are you comparing this to Blaze Ball?
4: <laughs> yeah, so um where cards fall and blaze are obviously not very similar to each other. Um, you know, one of them, Where Cards Fall, is a slice of life coming of age story where you're building houses of cards to bring memories to life. It is a it is a puzzle game. It is, um, you know, very atmospheric, like for fans of games like uh, Inside or games like The Witness, like they'll have a lot to, to latch onto there. Um, baseball, of course, is entirely, or mostly text-based and... Uh, multiplayer and weird and <laughs> very, very, very different. Um that said, you know, the reason that I started the game band was I wanted to create a studio that could make games that would kind of push the boundaries of interactive storytelling or just explore new territory. You know, games are still very young form and feel like there's a lot left to to try. Um, and you know, to, and make games that weren't like power fantasies, make things that were you know, very distinct and different from anything people have played before. Uh, So I really wanted it to be a studio that could reinvent itself. And, um, you know, where cards fall, the initial inspiration came from the Radiohead song, House of Cards. And Radiohead is one of my favorite bands because they take so many risks and they always are able to kind of redefine what your expectations are about them. Um, So, you know, both of these games are attempts at, making games that reflect the world that we live in, telling stories in really unique ways than, that only games can do. And they're both radically different from each other. So that's very much like kind of the ethos of the studio. And my hope is that whenever we do another project going forward, it'll be radically different from both of these projects. And it uh, will continue to surprise people and continue to push ourselves.
0: You're going for the, uh, you bring up Radiohead, but the uh, the singer-songwriter, like, uh, Boney Vera or somebody like that, that each album is like, while they have connections between them, they are radically different projects. And yeah, it's that's that's actually a really interesting take because you don't see that. I mean, really, like music and sometimes movies, like that's the only place that you'll occasionally see that. Games, it's like, oh, you know, you are now a. Action adventure studio. You are a text yep. studio. You know, there's no. You know, you're not going to see dice make a. You know, uh, walk RPG simulator. Oh, that works. Yeah,
4: like that. Like, and, and for good reason. Like the, I think the limitation in games for a long time has been the tech investment. Like you spend so much energy building out, you know, your core technology around what you're good at, and then. It, that kind of defines the types of games that you're making going forward because you've already built all this stuff. For a smaller studio that relies a lot on you know, very like great off the shelf technology, like, you know, where Cardstall was made in Unity, Placeball uh, is a variety of web frameworks. That investment is a lot smaller. Like, yes, we did invest a lot into our own kind of custom tools for card Cardstall, but it's not the same as building an engine from the ground up. So if we want to do a more dramatic turn, there's the cost to do that is a lot lower. And that's yeah, only really been possible in, you know, more recent years when the off-the-shelf engines have gotten so good and just the whole field has been a lot more democratized.
3: As I said, yeah, because worst case you're like, well, nothing similar besides what you do. We could take the safe system out, we could add this new thing and create those things transfer for the rest of it ground up, but like you're not doing it's not like twenty years ago you've written your own engine and that people are like right. yeah, this engine only does stuff in 2D. And no one can move too fast because it just breaks and we don't know
2: why.
4: Yeah, (laughs) totally. And, you know, there's like kind of conventional wisdom of, you know, do what you're good at. Um, But I'm hoping that what we ultimately prove to be good at is unique forms of interactive storytelling. And I can take a variety of different forms, a variety of different genres. I mean, you mentioned film, like great storytellers can, can span multiple genres. Like I think about Danny Boyle who yeah. almost never repeats a genre, you know, has done horror, has done drama, has, has done all sorts of things, biopics, you know, all, all across the spectrum.
0: So
3: I'm kind of curious. So as we're talking about where cards fall, I feel like just because the timing and how long it's been out. So that game was around the launch of Apple Arcade if I have my dates. about launch title. Yeah. yeah. So it was about right on that. So what's interesting to me is we're starting to see this trend now because it's been long enough where you've seen this Apple Arcade for a lot of times exclusivity ending and now being able to be transferred to mm-hmm. other things. So I'm kind of curious, obviously staying within you your grounds of NDAs and contracts, because I pro- I know Apple who made you say <laughs> a thousand of those. Um, how do you kind of do you kind of feel that we're gonna be seeing like a lot of this kind of stuff transferring over? And do you kind of feel like this is kind of like the trend from this point going forward in the issue based on what you kind of saw with this thing where like people go like, now we go to this platform to this deal of these like subscription services and then we kind of a year later start seeing the move on like more than we used to
4: i honestly have no idea like i am i'm only privy to the deal that we signed with apple i'm not privy to Mm -hmm. what arrangements they made with you know know, all the other developers that were part of apple arcade um i mean across the industry like sometimes you have platform holders and publishers that have like a standard thing and everybody goes with that sometimes everybody works out their own thing i don't know you know which part of that apple is on Um, i'm very happy that we got to be part of the launch for arcade and i'm very happy that we're going to get to be on switch and and pc you know in the near future
0: it's (laughs) it's funny that you mentioned that you were an apple arcade launch game this is now like what like our at least second that I can think of.
4: Yeah,
3: because we also talked to the what the golf. We so we talked yeah. to the what's the golf oh, guys cool. like like. It's a so great we game. We talked to them right before they they announced their Apple exclusivity deal, and that was really funny to us because we were like, "What's this arcade thing?" <laughs> oh, we just talked to these guys. Oh, this is a giant game. <laughs> like, <laughs> 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 so I think I think that that's very interesting. That like we do keep find this trend of like these, these games that are like either going on the platform or off of it. And Apple Arcade, I think, is interesting just. Generally speaking, because it's a thing that, like, it's obviously very big, but I feel that, like, people aren't talking about. Like, it's just a thing that is big. It's, like, I joke saying, like, League of Legends is giant, but if you ask people in the industry, no mm-hmm. one talks about League of Legends anymore. It just is there making money. And I think Apple arcade is kind of falling in that window. Yeah,
4: I-, I think that's true of a lot of sectors of, of video games, you know. There's, like, the things that are in vogue and in conversation for my Twitter feed, it seems like, you know, and then there's games that are immensely popular that you never see conversations about. Some of the most popular games in the world right now are games that like, I never see any discussions about. And I think that's, I, I, I just think that's a really interesting phenomenon. Um, even things like, you know, Among Us, which is such a fantastic game and, and uh, you know, brought so many people together this year, not one that I always see in like game development circles, but um, know, talking to friends and such, like, it's, it's huge.
0: It's a very, like, yeah, it's, it's interesting to think about because like if we think about what are the biggest games, like they're probably not big in the States. Mm-hmm. Like that's just, that's just kind of the way the world works. Like I hate to break it to Americans, but the U S is not the biggest superpower in the world anymore. It's not the population center. It, you know, if we,
3: Especially when you guys start kind of like mobile games a yeah. lot of times. Like, It's yeah. not America. It is Even like stuff like – I thought like – I could be wrong. I thought like people talking about like even like Japan usually outnumbers Americans in mobile game playing. They might not have Americans in game playing, but in mobile game playing, they do.
4: And most people that play games are playing on mobile. That's another yeah. thing that is like hard to – for well. people that have been <laughs> into this forever, you know, to to even like recognize and appreciate. But um, I mean, that is the biggest game platform right now. And a lot of those games that are really popular, like you were saying, are not widely discussed.
3: So I'm kind of curious then. So obviously, you're, you're going from a mobile platform to Switch mm-hmm. and PC. And it's funny because to me, I go, oh, jumping to PC, that makes a lot more sense in my head than almost. But, it, but it controller-wise, I'm almost curious if I'm wrong. Because in my head, always, I thought controller-wise, uh, I'm sure you don't see more mobile to Switch ports because it's very functionally very similar to an iPad in a lot of ways looking at it.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so I guess I'll start off by saying that before, uh, before we, you know, were selected to be part of Apple Arcade, um, where cards fall was in development for Switch and in development for PC. So it shouldn't feel like a port when it comes out. Like it should feel just like a native traditional PC or Switch game. Um, so these, these versions of the game have been in development for a really long time and I'm really excited for people to finally experience them. The, Control issue is uh, it, it depends on it depends on the type of game, but um, you know some games translate really naturally, some don't. And I think for a game like Where Cards Fall, uh, we had we had a pretty enormous design challenge with translating the gameplay to all of these different platforms. I thought it was a very fun design challenge. Like I wasn't you know angry about it at all. But um, you know on on iPhone and iPad when you're playing the game. The the core mechanic of the game is you're building these houses of cards, and the houses of cards kind of become these like three dimensional platforms that you can use to rearrange space and traverse through these levels. And the playing through a where cards fall puzzle feels a bit kind of like it's almost like construction, and but like it's like Portal, but like a construction version in a way where you you're like have to like kind of really get to know the geometry of the space and really think through how you want to navigate it. And the core mechanic we wanted it to be like incredibly tactile and like really feel like you're creating houses of cards regardless of what device you're playing it on. So on mobile, we decided to use the pinch gesture. You know, you're like squeezing and expanding these piles of cards and they kind of magically form into these structures. On um, on PC, what you're doing is you're clicking and dragging, like you're pulling the cards and then releasing to let them turn into these card structures. And on Switch, we use uh, the two joysticks together. So the left joystick moves the cards, the right joystick expands and contracts them. You almost never see the right joystick for anything except for camera, but our card tool's a fixed camera. So we're able to have a little bit more fun with it. And then the triggers are for um, kind of grabbing the cards. So we focused on the most like tactile parts of the controller. I, I think it feels really, really nice. You can also play with the controller on PC too. So you know, whichever version you get, you'll get that.
0: So I have to imagine knowing that it's, it was originally going to be a PC and switch game, like especially considering the way phones have almost surpassed, you know, that uh, I guess, what is it? The eighth generation, right? Like they say the switch is roughly comparable to a PS3 and a 360 in terms of horsepower. Like the fact that the chip inside the switch is basically what an iPhone runs on now. Like, that had to be a not not insurmountable task, but like a much smaller hill to climb to be like, okay, we're taking this and moving it to mobile. Whereas Mm -hmm. then two years ago, like that hill would have been like, okay, we have to scale back features or we have to scale back graphics or something like that. Like it's got to feel really good for your project to, you know, succeed in a way that it has with that hill now being super small.
4: Yeah. I mean, I will say like, there's still plenty of optimization work, you know, whenever you're focusing on a very specific platform um, there's platform specific things that you just have to take into account that are going to be different. I'd say for, for the iOS platforms, um, one of the challenging things was there's a pretty broad spectrum of mobile devices. You know, you have high end mobile devices, your brand new ones that have, really impressive graphics tech at this point point. Uh, then ones from just a few years ago that are very <laughs> very different right and um and, you know with mobile players too like there's they they uh don't necessarily and this is not their fault at all they just don't necessarily have an understanding of the performance differences between those so we just have to make sure that it runs as well as it possibly can on all of them you know these devices like your phone is not marketed like a playstation it's not like you're buying the new phone for the next you know level graphics or anything it's just it's a new phone it's going to be faster and yeah you don't know that all that other stuff comes with it too
3: so yeah. i am kind of curious and again if at any point you feel like you can't answer this because nda is just obviously just shut me up kind of be like hey we you okay. don't want to answer so you can't um what is the line of like so obviously you're doing this thing for switch and and steam and these platforms in mm-hmm. mind and then you got invited or whatever you said to Apple Arcade and you've pivoted at that point. Are you allowed to kind of like keep the work you had so far and just kind of put on freeze and then come back to it again? Or do they kind of be, kind of be like, no, kind of like this is a different thing and you have to go kind of restart more from scratch in these ports kind of thing?
4: Um, you know, that question actually never even really came to mind because uh, by the point where we were selected for Apple Arcade, um, you know, we had to finish developing the game. So then once the game was finished and developed, uh, now it's like going back and bringing, you know, making the Switch version and, and PC version. Uh, th- a lot of that work kind of just deteriorated anyway because we moved past it. So the the real, um, the work that went into those those two versions of the game that, that like kind of built up our base was more on the design sense. It was more of like we had, figured out like what the control scheme was going to be. We had, we had it running on these. We kind of knew what was working and what wasn't. So by the time it came to like actually like making the ports properly, we didn't have to go through a ton of iterations there. We already knew exactly what the spec was and just kind of dove right in.
3: Hmm. So, yeah. cool. so looking at the time we've stole you now for roughly about 45 minutes. Um, <laughs> I think I have one last thing of AJ's after that is, so right now you have War Cards Fall coming out sometime, this year in 2021 on uh, mm-hmm. Epic Game Store, on Steam, on Switch, do you have any tighter thing right now? Is that kind of your with right now? Is this like 2021 somewhere in this year timeframe we should expect it on those devices?
4: Yeah, it'll be early this year. So it's not that far off. Um, but I don't have like an exact date for it just yet.
0: Okay. Just keep that date vague. As vague as you <laughs> until like all of a sudden you're like, oh, hey, here it is.
3: 2020s it is somewhere in this decade we could expect it on these devices it's perfect
4: <laughs>
3: and then obviously you said blazeball back 222 ish asterisk
0: question yep. mark i don't know <laughs> probably, probably back around then yeah i don't know I, I feel like you can't use asterisk when you're going anything re- semi-related <laughs> to baseball but there's too many of those already <laughs> you've got the hey, Astros hey, asterisk. You've got the steroid era asterisk. You've got yeah.
4: The, when's when's going to be baseball's first asterisk? <laughs> <laughs> We're waiting.
3: <laughs> we'll find out. We'll find out that you actually it was all actually happening in this world of simulation. Like it was going to be like none. <laughs> <laughs> <that. laughs> Maybe <laughs> yeah. hey, JJ, Anything okay. else for us, Sam before we let him go? Escape back to actual work.
0: Yes. Uh, everybody listening, we need to get a baseball like. Trash can banging something like <laughs> Sam wants an asterisk for baseball. We need to make an asterisk. For
4: yeah, what's the baseball version of banging a trash can? Twitter bots. Oh, like <laughs>
0: buy, like I. I guess it would be like.
3: We well, better hope we better hope your spam filter is good on on making yeah. accounts. Yeah, all since, I gotta since say. You
4: brought, since you brought since this up, one of my um favorite little bits of uh, making baseball is. We named the, the Houston team the Houston Spies, and their tagline is bang, bang. And since so many of our fans are not baseball fans, very few of them have even commented on that. And I, I thought that was like the most obvious joke that you could possibly go for and was shocked to see uh, like three messages in the Discord <laughs> mentioning it.
0: The Houston Buzzers. Yeah. Well, that that is like you want to talk about like inside baseball like that it it kind of made its way to mainstream Mm
1: -hmm. news i mean
0: i remember seeing like screenshots of them talking about it on good morning america and like but that is was such a like unless you knew what was going on that story is like people don't believe it they're like no you're talking about like a movie you're talking about like the next Oceans movie is Dodgers
4: fans believe it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Dodgers fans. Who else? The uh, anybody that played the Astros or Red Sox, yeah. Um, yeah. take you guess people?
4: who else played the Red Sox?
0: Yeah, anybody that was <laughs> four years. I
4: right? can't be bitter now. We we won, we won. We're good, <laughs> I mean, no, you can still be bitter. It is, it is, yeah. Well,
0: Mike, I think that's, uh, that's oh, nice. it for me. Well, uh,
3: Sam, thank you for uh, spending your time.
4: Thanks Perfect. for having me. So,
3: yeah, so thank you for your time. So let's make sure I have everything right. It is Where Cards Fall coming soonish. Switch, Steam, Epic Game <laughs> yep. Store, uh, uh-huh. all that fun stuff. And then Blazeball is just blazeball.com.
4: Yes, blazeball.com. Uh, follow Parker, the commissioner on Twitter. He's doing a pretty good job. That's just at blazeball.com and uh we're the game band you can find us on twitter too all right
0: awesome this
3: podcast was a production of the sww show to learn more go to the sww remember you can follow the show on twitter at the sww show you can follow me at mikey underscore Maroney. you can follow aj at low C-board. remember new episodes premiere on friday 9 a.m central time
2: on anchor.fm slash sww and podcast services around the globe